Welcome to Not Just a Sports Report. Just a sports report. Today, it is time to launch in to the NRL Grand Final 2022. Today is all about a review of the huge game where the Penrith Panthers managed to secure back-to-back premierships. They now put themselves amongst the great teams of the NRL era. They also put themselves in the conversation as the greatest Penrith team of all time. It's time to jump in to the grand final. We had the Panthers up against the Parramatta Eels, a battle of the West last Sunday at a course stadium. And it was the Panthers, as I mentioned, walking away with the Premiership 28-12 winners. They were up 28-0 at one point. And one of the more dominant displays we have ever seen in an NRL grand final. Now, the game itself, as I said, complete domination from Penrith. They were clearly the better team in this game. And it wasn't even that Parramatta had a bad game. I don't think the Panthers were going to be stopped by anyone here. And I think the Eels not having a great game is more a reflection of the work that the Panthers were doing rather than the work that the Eels were not doing. I don't know if any side would have beat the Panthers on the weekend, They've been humming not just this year, but for the last three years. And after this win, look, there is a lot to unpack. We have the Panthers back-to-back celebrations. Little bit of controversy there, although I call bullshit uh, in terms of some of the chat going around about the post-game celebrations. But look, it's an extended podcast. I will get to that a bit later on. But firstly, I'm going to focus on the game itself. I've just sat down and watched a replay, so I'm going to do a breakdown of the game highlights, as well as looking at the Panthers' grand final winning team. This is not just a sports report, and this is the NRL grand final preview. Alright, so now breaking down the game itself. And as expected, it was a very physical start from both sides. And I must say, if there was someone that really stood out to me in the opening 10 or so minutes, it was Moses Leota. Now, Leota, the front rower for the Panthers, he immediately imposed himself right off the bat. And I really think Moses Leota took that forward pack battle personally. Of course, for the Eels, the major key for them to get the win was in their front row with Regan Campbell-Gillard, Junior Paolo, and I thought the work that James Fisher-Harris and especially Moses Leota did early, well, that very early set the tone that the Panthers were not here to fuck around. They got their side off on the front foot and they really won that battle in the middle, which opened the game up for some of the backline players. For me, in the first 10 minutes, Moses Leota was my standout. Another point in the game early was the decision to start with Mitch Kenny, which the Panthers have done for a number of weeks. They start with Kenny, 
named on the bench but ended up starting at dummy half. He kind of took out, I guess, the physical start to the game and made his tackles, just did some of the grunt work, and then Api Corusau came onto the field a little bit later once the Eels started to fatigue. Now, that ended up being a great call. Mitch Kenny held his own at the start of the game, and then a fresh Api Corusau really turned the game on its head. Now, the first play in the grand final that really caught my eye was Dylan Brown on the first tackle, deciding to put a kick in for Mitchell Moses. Now, it was innovative, but in my opinion, this is where the tide began to turn. Now, I'm not saying they would have gone on to win, or that this game would have even been competitive had they not tried it, but it was a low percentage play. I know a lot of people praising them, saying, well, it's the Panthers, you've got to try something different. I don't know if kicking on the first tackle is the kind of something different. Now, I know Mitch Moses was super close, and if the play comes off, that lives in grand final history forever. But I just thought first tackle, low percentage play, in my opinion, you want to make sure Panthers have as little possession as possible. So to gift it back to them on the first tackle with a full set in front of them, that was an early moment in the game where I think, look, I was just waiting during the physical start for one player or one of these teams to make a mistake. And look, that's all it takes in a big game like this. So the first real mistake, I know it's been quite critical, was Dylan Brown's decision to kick on the first tackle. Now, yes, it's the Panthers. You've got to try different things. But look, you only have to look as far as what happened shortly after. Panthers, only a few minutes later, would go on to score. Now, it wasn't a direct result of the kick, but if they had used their full set, maybe try to get to their line, put an attacking kick in, or a grubber to try and get a repeat set, well, maybe they can hold off this Panthers juggernaut for a little bit longer. Belief could start to build, uh, but they gave the ball away on the first tackle, and only a couple of minutes later, Stephen Crichton crosses for the first try. Now, Crichton is such a big game player. We've seen it time and time again, including in last year's grand final, and that makes it back-to-back grand finals for Stephen Crichton scoring a try. This try as well was a beautiful piece of play. When you want to talk about throwing out something different in attack to try and rattle your opposition, well, this was much more effective than a first tackle kick. Dylan Edwards holds the ball up for just long enough, and look, the players are expecting it to go to their outside, or maybe for Dylan Edwards to go himself. We see, so see, fucking hell, Stephen Crichton drops back inside Dylan Edwards, catches the ball, and Crichton was just too fast and too strong to be stopped. That gets Penrith the first try on the board, and Panthers clinical in terms of their game plan. They managed to outsmart Sean Lane and get Dylan Brown to drift across that little bit too far, opening up the hole for the Panthers to execute a set play to perfection. Dylan Edwards, not overawed by the moment. And look, Stephen Crichton, he is someone that is not overawed by the big pressure, high stakes moments. That actually seems to be when Stephen Crichton plays his best football. So Crichton gets the Panthers on the board and Parramatta 
never got themselves back into the game after this point. That is why I do feel like that first tackle kick, and maybe I'm dwelling on it too much, but that definitely turned the tide. You left a whole set, and you handed that set to Penrith, and a couple of sets later, they score. So I really do think Parramatta, look, if it paid off, then it would have been a huge moment. But it didn't pay off, and they could have probably done with the full set, at least a couple more tackles in that one. Now, shortly after, Brian Toto scores the second try. At this point, you kind of know Panthers are going to go on and win. I said in my preview podcast that for Eels to win, I think they need to lead. They need to play from in front. That's how they've done so well over this final series. And they weren't able to do that. They gave away the first try, and then they gave away the second try. Brian Toto crosses the line, and it was a beautiful decoy play from Viliame Kikau. That opened up the space for the left edge of Penrith. And look, once he got the ball, Brian Toto still had plenty of work to do. But once he got to the line, he was way too powerful for Clint Gutherson. That put the Panthers up 10-0 in less than 20 minutes. And look, I was a happy camper. I, I did put a bet on before the game, my grand final And I did a side bet for the Eels as well, just in case. Uh, But I put some money on for Panthers to win, Stephen Crichton to score any time try, and Brian Toto to score a try at any time. So about less than 20 minutes into the game, and I was happy. I was settled. There were no nerves. And I didn't really place many more bets. I didn't do many on this game. I really wanted to just sit down, enjoy it. I didn't want to have too much skin in the game. I wanted to appreciate the result either way, but I was feeling good. Crichton had a big green tick. Brian Toto had a big green tick. And all I needed from that point was for the Panthers to go on with the job. Now, a bit later in the half, and big mistake from Clint Gutherson, who unfortunately didn't have the best game playing with a broken hand. Gutherson kicks a line dropout out on the full. Panthers take a penalty shot at goal, and they go up 12-0. So all the scoring plays in the first half involving the Panthers, and they weren't done yet. Scott Sorensen scores off a Nathan Cleary kick a little bit closer to halftime, and again, it was Gutherson. I don't want to put the blame on him because he always is one of the Eels' best, and he tries his guts out, and I love King Gutho, so I I don't really want to call him out, but they did catch him out of position. The Panthers clearly had a plan. Nathan Cleary with the grubber kick. Scott Sorensen comes through and scores the try, and Sorensen, one of the remarkable grand final stories. One of my favorite, in fact, given that he couldn't break into the Sharks' side. He spent time in some other NRL systems, Sharks didn't want him. No NRL club had a place for him. And the Panthers, they said, why don't you come? Join our squad. Absolutely no guarantee of playing first grade. And Scott Sorensen, here he is, a back-to-back premiership winner and a try scorer in the grand final that sends the Panthers 18-0 up into the sheds. At this point, I think we basically knew what the result was going to be. It was going to take an absolute miracle for the Eels to get it done. 
But hey, there was still 40 minutes to go. So now let's get amongst the second half. teeth into the second half and just quickly as well for any Parramatta fans listening I, w- I will break down your team uh, this first part I mean the game was dominated by Penrith and then I will go through Penrith's team after the second half portion but I do promise Eels fans I will break down your side as well there's a few uh, departing players a couple of guys coming in as well so there will be some Eels chat but now let's jump into the second half And the first play that caught my eye, a negative play from the Eels. Wunga Blake drops the ball on his own line less than five minutes into the second half. So, look, we already kind of felt like Panthers had this one in the bag. And look, Wunga Blake drops the ball. Moments later, Brian Toto scores. And any chance of an Eels comeback now looks dead at this point. Now, look any other game and this Brian Toto try would be disallowed. It's an obstruction. The video referee ends up allowing it and I can understand why Eels fans are pissed off because any other game that would be an obstruction. Obstruction rules in general are shite. There's like no common sense. It's very black and white. You cannot tell me that Mitchell Moses would have made that tackle. I think that is still a try any day of the week. So... I'm not up in arms about this decision, but in any other game we've seen this year, the precedent has been set and that would be called an obstruction. But the video referee, their logic was that Moses made contact with Kikau, and as I said, I think it would have been a try regardless, so I'm not too fussed about it. Eels up 22-0. And look, they their average of points conceded, far below 22 So Eels would have had to have the game of their life from this point. And Panthers, it was evident from very early on, Panthers were not going to be allowing any miracle plays. Eels were going to have to work for everything. And look, they nearly scored. There was a glimmer of hope. Parramatta nearly score a try, but Mike Acevo drops the ball. Excellent defense from Stephen Crichton, who, look, the Panthers players, to their credit, Shill, shill, fucking that's not a word, still showing a ton of urgency in defence. They hadn't switched off, and look, for Parramatta, that try may have made it a bit more exciting, but they didn't end up getting it. The Eels were not going to die wondering, though. Reed Marnie, from his own end, puts in a grubber kick for Bailey Simonson. He collects it, and jeez, there is some pace on Bailey Simonson. Looks like he may be able to go all the way. And then Dylan Edwards happened. A Scott Sattler moment of his own. Obviously the context of the game, a lot different. The Sattler one in 03, that was as clutch as it comes. That was a really big moment in the game. At this point in the game, I think we all knew uh, the Panthers were going to win. But Parramatta, as I said, they weren't going to die wondering... Dylan Edwards, though, makes an outstanding cover tackle. As I mentioned, urgency still on display from Penrith. And that point, that tackle out of touch, I just think that was the final nail in the coffin for Parramatta. Charlie Staines, the Forbes Ferrari, crosses for a try moments later. 
And just like this entire season, on grand final day, the Panthers were just on another level. Penrith seemingly in a league of their own. There's the top, like there's the bottom sides, there's the mid-tier sides, there's your elite sides, and then there's Penrith above everyone. Staines pretty much confirming what we already knew, Penrith back-to-back premiers, and a great moment for young Charlie Staines, who the last couple of seasons has fallen out of favour. Potentially, there's been talks of a swap deal for next season. Tyrone Peachy from the Tigers to come back to the Panthers, which would be very interesting, given Peachy not in hot form at the moment, but when they lost uh, Tyrone Peachy, they never really wanted to lose him. Gold Coast paid out the wazoo to get Peachy over there. So Panthers did what they do best. They let Peachy, a high-name, high-profile player, walk out the door, and they brought the next youngster through. Now, it's looking like they may get Peachy back at a fraction of the coin they would have had to pay to keep him. So that is a potential massive win for the Panthers, and that would see Charlie Staines go over to the Tigers, now as a Premiership player, and I am fascinated. Are they planning to play Staines out on the wing? They have got Ken Malmalo, who's on a decent whack for a winger, and of course David Nofaluma. Or does Staines play fullback? Which would be strange given that I think Dane Laurie has been one of the Tigers' best over the last couple of years. Laurie also coming from the Panthers' system, funnily enough. But Dane, he can play in the halves. He's played in the halves before in the lower grades for the Panthers, so maybe they make the switch. I'm not sure whether Charlie Staines would play fullback or wing for the Tigers, but that is an interesting development, and Staines, he gets his side up. It is 28-0. The Eels, they score two consolation tries in the last 10 minutes, and look, I probably couldn't have picked two players who really deserved a great moment. I mean, Clint Gutherson, he is the heart and soul of that Parramatta outfit. He gave it his all. Did he have the best game? No, he didn't. But Clint Gutherson represents everything the Eels are all about. I was happy to see him score the try, although you could see it on his face. He was crushed. There was no celebration about the try. And then Jake Arthur, only on the field for a couple of minutes, scores a try from a kick. How good. Jake Arthur, so much unfair criticism of him. And even going into the grand final, saying, why is this guy on the bench? Do you need this guy on the bench? Well, he scored a try, and good moment for him. The game was already done before he got out there, and he did what he could. So congrats to Jake Arthur. And that's it. Panthers, they get it done. I enjoyed watching their celebration tour. Stuck around for the whole hour afterwards, watched everything go down. That's one of my favorite parts, to be honest, of the grand final, is watching everyone celebrate. It's always such an emotional moment. And you do have that sad other side as well, where you see the guys who've lost it and how shattered they are. But there's something that I just love about after a grand final, all the celebrations, all the interviews. And we saw Panthers, they bring their family members onto the field, a lot of children, And Phil Good made a really cool comment that I liked where he was just kind of like, wow, it's it's crazy that I saw so many of these young guys come into the Panthers as young boys, just really young men, still with a lot of growth. 
And now here they are, back-to-back premieres. They've all got families, they've got children, and Feelgood no longer there. But I think, yeah, I really liked that moment where it was like, wow, these guys, they've all come through together, they've grown up and become men together. And it was cool seeing the Panthers, all their family members on the field, and all their reserve grade team as well, who were the state champions. So everyone gets a medal, and Panthers... Gee whiz, there is a very special aura surrounding the club at the moment. Just quickly looking at the Eels and some statistics that caught my eye from their performance. Reed Marnie, 56 tackles and 7 missed, but what an enormous effort. There was clearly intent to target Reed Marnie, who is a much smaller frame playing in the middle, and to make him get through 56 tackles. That definitely takes Marnie's biggest strength away from him, which is his electric running game and his high pace, high energy style of play. I think they really wore on Reed Marnie, but great effort from him. 56 tackles. Uh, Isaiah Papali'i, here's a stat for you. 11 missed tackles. So not, not great at all. Um, and that left edge of Penrith, just far too good. So I think anyone... Playing in that position probably would have missed 10 odd tackles, but Isaiah Papali'i, he, he was one of the keys for the Eels. And interestingly enough, Reed Marnie, who made all those tackles, gone, that was his last Eels game. Isaiah Papali'i missed a lot of tackles, but has also been one of the Eels' best in the last two years. He's gone. So they've, they've got a bit of uh, working out to do to work out exactly what direction the club's going to go in. And another stat not so great for the Eels, eight errors between the back three of Gutherson, Sevo, and Blake. So eight errors between them. Looking at some of these stats, like, yeah, Parramatta probably never stood a chance. And Panthers, they, they showed up. They showed up to the absolute maximum. So that's my take on the game itself. Now what I'm going to do... Uh, We saw all 17 of the grand final winning players take to the stage, receive their medal. I'm going to have a quick breakdown of the Panthers' grand final winning team, and I'm going to jump through some of their stats as well. So that was the game itself. Now let's get amongst the grand final winning 17. Then the Clive Churchill medalist, best on ground in the grand final, Dylan Edwards. Extremely deserving of the honour, getting the Clive, and if you listened to my preview for the game, he was my pick. Not that that's saying much, a lot of people had Dylan Edwards as their pick, so I'm not some kind of genius, but good to know my spidey senses are on. And for Dylan Edwards, only a couple of seasons ago, you may remember... He had some nightmare games under the high ball. The Panthers were struggling. Edwards was dropped to New South Wales Cup. Shattered confidence. And it seemed like Dylan Edwards was never going to really truly arrive as an elite NRL player. He came back into the first grade side. And in the last couple of years especially, Dylan Edwards has become one of the elite fullbacks of the game And that's all built around 100% effort. This guy is go, go, go. 
that cover tackle on Bailey Simonson proves exactly how switched on he is defensively. They were down 20, I mean, they were up, sorry, 22-0. And he still had the urgency to get there to make that tackle. They say Dylan has an incredibly high pain threshold as well, often playing through injuries, playing busted, and doing everything he can to try and get the win for the side. There was a bit of a non-story where nobody got around him when he was announced for the Clive Churchill medal. Look, I've seen the Panthers players get around him plenty, so I'm not going to read into that too much. Uh, Unfortunately for Dylan, big talking point is that he misses out on Kangaroo's selection. I can understand why they're not taking him, but there's all this talk of like, oh, well, Dylan Edwards only covers fullback. Wrong. That is wrong. I remember specifically, I used to fucking love the Holden Cup under 20s, so I'd watch as many games as I could. And in a premiership winning under 20s side, Dylan Edwards spent time in the halves, he spent time at fullback, he spent time on the wing, he played dummy half a couple of stages, and in the centres as well. So Dylan Edwards, he's not just a fullback. I truly believe you could play him on the wing, you could play him in the centres, and no, being a Clive Churchill medalist doesn't guarantee you selection in the Australian Kangaroos side, but I did think Dylan Edwards very unlucky to miss out. And look, Campbell Graham, he's a player who got selected that I am stoked for, but Graham, he was playing with broken ribs in the final series. I don't know if he's going to be like that good to go. I know most of these players would be playing busted, but yeah, I thought it was a little bit stiff. Only a 24-man squad, So I can understand leaving out Dylan Edwards, uh, but I think reward for effort, he would have deserved the jersey. This season, Dylan has gone from a reliable first grader to one of the game's most consistent and high-quality stars. Dylan exemplifies what being a Panther is all about, and it's Edwards' high-effort areas all year that have seen him blossom into an essential member of this Panthers powerhouse. Checking some grand final stats, he was the man of the match and racked up some impressive numbers as well. Dylan had 28 runs, ran for 291 metres, nearly 300 metres ran in a grand final. Dylan had one line break, three line break assists, a try assist, nine tackle breaks and two offloads. All within 80 minutes of football and within the most high pressure, high stakes 80 minutes of football that you will play in the NRL, a grand final. And he's been playing like that all year. That was why he was my pick for the Clive Churchill medal. These are the kind of consistent numbers Dylan Edwards has been producing all year. Now, on to the number two grand final winning 17, Charlie Staines, the Forbes Ferrari, who burst onto the NRL style or season in style. I've gone fucking dyslexic now scored bags of tries, and look, there was an unfair expectation, like, holy shit, this guy's going to score a hat-trick every week. It was never going to be like that, but for Staines, a lot of hype. He started in 2021 as the side's winger, but by the grand final last year, he was out of the team, had lost his spot, and then this year, he gets the start again on the wing, and he loses his spot in the team to Taylor May 
who was unfortunately ruled out of this one before uh, through injury. But Staines, he took his chance, recalled to the side after he looked destined to miss out on yet another grand final win. Staines was not to be denied this time. One try, 127 run meters, a line break, and two tackle breaks for the Forbes Ferrari. On to the number three, and what a season it's been from him. Isaac Tungo, his first grand final. Tungo, Tago, I'll have to fucking work that out by the World Cup, which is coming around. Uh, yeah, a lot of names. A lot of names to learn for the World Cup should be fun. Uh, now, Isaac assumed the left center role at the start of this year, and there was a lot of talk. He had to replace Matt Burton, who was the Dellium center of the year, and looks like a very special player. But Isaac Tugger, he has wasted no time. He settled straight into the left center role. And in my opinion, Isaac's been one of the standout rookies this year. That reflected in his nomination among the not just a sports report top four for this year's rising star. Now that's still to be released as well. The not just a sports report performance highlights of the year we will be naming the winner of the Rising Star Performance Highlight of the Year, Best Young Player, as well as plenty of other highlights. Basically like an awards show, except I don't have any trophies to give these guys. I don't get paid. And uh, yeah, they probably don't give a shit. If I'm like, hey, you're the player of the year. They're like, who's this? How'd you get my number? So I just called it Performance Highlights. But we will be naming a player of the season, and to reflect just how quality Penrith and their youth are, two of the NJSR top four for the rising star are Panthers players. Taylor May and Isaac Tungo nominated. Now, looking at Tungo's stats, he ran for 109 meters, two try assists. Big effort for Brian Toto, who ended up crossing the line. Two line break assists and two tackle breaks for Isaac. Now to the number four. The bigger the stage, the better the performance. Stephen Crichton picking up his second premiership ring. A try scorer in back-to-back grand finals. And there has been talk. Maybe, just maybe, Crichton follows Panthers assistant coach Cameron Seraldo over to the Bulldogs. I do expect the dogs to target Crichton. Maybe not for next season. There's not much time to work. Uh, But for 2024, we may very well see Stephen Crichton, the Bulldog. He handled goal-kicking duties as well this year, while Cleary was out of the side. And Stephen Crichton, one of the many who has just emerged into a complete superstar since the 2020 season. Checking out Crichton's stats, he scored a try, the first one, ran for 123 metres, a line break, four tackle breaks, and here's my favorite stat from Stephen Crichton, that look, he's known for an amazing attacking prowess, but 25 tackles, no misses for Stephen Crichton, including that crucial tackle to stop Mike Acevo from getting the Eels on the board. 25 tackles, no misses, big game as always from Stephen Crichton. And then, you want to talk big games? This guy is the definition of a big game player. From too small to the best winger in the NRL, number five, Brian Toto. 
spent the majority of this year playing on the right side to accommodate Taylor May, and then when May was out, Brian shifted back to the left, where he definitely seems more dangerous, in my opinion. Although I liked accommodating Taylor May in the side, but Brian Toto, I mean, not a heap of players these days play on both sides of the field, and Brian Toto, no matter which side he plays on, he absolutely kills it. He was unlucky, in my opinion, to miss out on Clive Churchill honours, and one of the great characters of the game is Brian Toto. Checking out his mountain of stats racked up, Brian Toto scored two tries, ran for 299 run meters, let's call it 300, come on. Three, like, fucking, I'm gonna call it 300 meters. He ran the house down. And only a couple of years ago, this wasn't what a winger's job was. They weren't racking up numbers like this. But now, Brian Toto, he's reinvented the wheel. He was always told, you're too small, we probably can't have you playing NRL. The Panthers, they backed him in, and it has been an outstanding decision. 299 run meters for Toto, 102 post-contact meters, three line breaks, nine tackle breaks, six tackles, and no errors for Bizza. A massive game, and if Dylan Edwards didn't get the Clive, then I think Brian Toto would have massive performance in the biggest game of the year. On to the number six, the 5'8", who has recently become a new villain in the game. Many people don't like him. He's actually one of my favorite players. I'll be honest, I love the shit talk, and I just think he's an outstanding player, Jerome Luai. The current New South Wales Blues 5'8", he is the Samoan half heading into the World Cup. And look, Luai, I remember when he debuted in the NRL. It was against my side, the Warriors, and he absolutely towed us up. I was like, holy shit, can we sign this guy? Can we please sign this guy? Uh, But we never did. He absolutely rolled us. I think Cleary and Maloney were out on origin duties, and they had Tyrone May and the debutant, Jerome Luai, in the side. And yeah, he was just fucking us up. And I was like, what? Come on, he's in Panthers reserve grade or playing off the bench for the most part. I was like, you're telling me we can't sign this guy? But then James Maloney moved on. There was a big decision to make. Do you go with Jerome Luai or do you go with Matt Burton to partner Nathan Cleary in the halves? Well, Jerome Luai was given the full-time halves role in 2020 and three consecutive grand finals. So look, I am a huge fan of Jerome Luai. He is a key part of that Panthers lethal left edge. And look, I don't think Luai's stats quite reflected his impact on this grand final. Four tackle breaks, 10 tackles amongst his statistics. Um, But look, I know a lot of people saying, this guy's a dog, they hate the way he plays, reckons he's a grub, all this stuff. I'm not gonna argue with that necessarily. Uh, Jerome Luai, he's known as a bit of a, a cheeky character, but I like it. I don't know. I just feel like I don't want every single player being like full credit to the boys, you know. Yeah, it was a good game, whatever. Just like textbook chat. I love a bit of shit talk. Jerome Luai saying that the Eels players, they call the Panthers daddy. 
Now, not my preferred kind of shit talk. That's not how I would go about it. But fucking hilarious. If you're offended by that, honestly, like, lighten up. It's rugby league. It's not like... One sport is football, soccer, where there is so much shit talk, but I don't like it. Like, I'm like... Not necessarily out in the public, but when you're on the field, there are a lot of blokes who are definitely chirpy because you can't really tackle anyone in a game of football slash soccer. Uh, so you've got a lot of loudmouths. But this is rugby league. Like, it's not like fucking you can't tackle this bloke or something. Everything he's saying, he's willing to back up. And now, it's like a fight, essentially. Sometimes in boxing... You'll pay to see someone get knocked out. There's someone, and it's not necessarily that you're like, I love this fighter. I'm going to pay for this card to watch them fight. Some of the time, there's a real element of like, I'm going to place my hard-earned money down to watch this card because I want to see this motherfucker get knocked out. I don't know. Someone who I have never paid for their cards and I just stare away from, but that I wouldn't mind seeing get getting knocked out as an example... Jake Paul, like it's one of the, you know, and I don't really like to cover the Paul brothers. In fact, I don't, but that's just an example. It's like people would invest their time to watch that. And a lot of people, it's because they're like, I want to see this guy get knocked out. And society just loves in general, wanting to bring people down who are more successful than them and just tear them back down to their level. I, I love it. I love Jerome Lewis shit talk. Now, in terms of that boxing reference, Eels fans are going to be going to the games and they're going to want want to watch the Panthers get knocked out. You know, there's a real rivalry that started to build. And it's dope. I love our classy players like a Cooper Cronk, uh, Cronk, very humble in both victory and defeat. But I I have such a place for shit talk. I I love what the Panthers have been doing in terms of their carry-on pre- and post-grand final. But I'll, I'll get to all those antics shortly. Let's stick to the theme, the grand final winning 17, and the poster boy of all the success, the son of the coach and the halfback, co-captain Nathan Cleary, now at only 24 years of age, entering the conversation regarding all-time greats. And I don't like to speculate or compare different eras and different players. So to be honest, I don't really care for that chat. But he's entering the conversations. Nobody's saying like he's topped Joey or he's topped Thurston or Kronk. Nobody's saying that yet. But he's in the conversation and he's 24 with the Panthers seemingly showing no signs of slowing down when you look at their four premierships across all grades this year. Cleary also has an elite kicking game. Those Cleary bombs, they're, they're starting to become something on the coach's rap sheet. Like, it's they're getting in people's head. I've seen articles the last two games. Tane Milne, yeah, I don't care. He can send those bombs my way all he wants. Well, Tane Milne, he did all right in that regard and then just absolutely stiffied. Who was it? Uh, Spencer Lanier, that's right. He was pissed off about that. Uh, but yeah, Tane Milne, it was in his head. He was in an article talking about those Nathan Cleary bombs and Stiffy moment, moments later gets sent off again, which was a bit of a laugh. 
Then, in the grand final, all this talk about Wunga Blake, the Nathan Cleary bombs. And Blake, they they didn't really expose him to those kicks very much. But you could tell, like, it every week, it was in the opposition's heads. Like, how do we go about these Nathan Cleary kicks? And you can say, like, yeah, you can say whatever you want. But basically, the only thing you can do is just back yourself and try to catch them. Onto the stats for Nathan Cleary in the grand final. Eight points scored, 117 run meters, a try assist, a line break, three tackle breaks, 24 tackles for Cleary, so a great defensive display, and 22 kicks for 556 kicking meters. So Cleary, not quite the Clive Churchill performance of last year, but I mean, he did exactly what you want your halfback to do. He steered the ship, he was involved in most of the scoring plays, and Nathan Cleary, 24 years old, already, not just Cleary, but also the Panthers, entering the discussion around all-time greats. Back to the Panthers' grand final winning team, number eight, Moses Leota. As I mentioned, my standout in the first 10 minutes, I thought it was an epic contribution from Moses, who set the tone physically right from the word go. Leota will not be done here. He's got to make sure he doesn't party too hard because he will be joining the mighty New Zealand Kiwis. Cannot wait to cheer the Kiwis on this World Cup. Moses Leota definitely in the best 17 for New Zealand. Leota in this game, he laid the platform with his aggression and physicality and in my opinion, that was what opened the game up for the X-Factor players like Cleary, Toto, and Dylan Edwards. Checking some stats for Moses Leota, he ran for 90 meters, had two tackle breaks, and produced 20 tackles. Now, on to the master of deception, his final game in his second stint at Penrith, the number nine, RP Corusau. One of the on-field masterminds of the Panthers' rise to prominence. His deception, his creativity out of dummy half, it cannot be understated how important he is to this Penrith success. Although, funnily enough, they have got guys lining up to replace him. So Coruscant, he's a huge loss, but the Panthers do have options, and I'll get to those in a moment. RP off to the Tigers next season. Jeez, there's been a bit of, a bit of chat uh, since the grand final. I'll get to all of the post-grand final antics in a moment. But RP off to the West Tigers. And yeah, some funny chat. I know for Tigers fans, they're probably not laughing. But I did see Benny Elias, a Tigers legend, came out and was like, fuck, who gives a shit? Those, that, don't quote me on that. That was not how he said it. But he was basically like, who gives a shit? They've been partying all night. And look, I'll get to the the post-grand final aftermath soon because there's a lot to cover. A lot of funny stuff. But it has dominated the headlines as well. I didn't want to start the podcast with that. Let's talk about the actual game. Let's talk about the result. Let's talk about the footy first rather than shit that in the bigger picture really doesn't matter, but there was some funny stuff in there. Api Corusau, now a three-time Premiership player. He started on the bench, came on like just before the 20-minute mark, 
played for 63 minutes, 85% tackle efficiency for Arpi, 35 tackles made. So he was very busy on both sides of the ball, and he gets to bow out a winner, a fairy tale finish with all his mates there at the Panthers. Then James Fisher Harris, the number 10, he too, much like Arpi, in the headlines for some comments where it's just, I don't know, I'm not offended, but we'll get to those soon. Now, James Fisher Harris was one of the key contributors in this grand final, one of the best front rowers in the world, and he is a leader amongst this young Penrith side. James Fisher Harris is also a New Zealand Kiwis international, and I personally cannot wait to see him in the black and white or silver jersey of New Zealand. I do think it's black and white, silver, just fucking, I don't know where that came from. Now, James Fisher-Harris statistics in a grand final and less than an hour on the field. Fisher-Harris ran for 201 run meters. He totally trumped his opposition in Campbell Gillard and Paolo. And that was where a lot of the attention was on for this game. That battle in the middle, clearly won by the Panthers, 201 meters for James, two tackle breaks, an offload, 32 tackles, and no errors for the fish. Then the number 11, Viliami Kikau. His final game for the club, and one of the biggest names in this all-star lineup. Kikau off to the Bulldogs in 2023, but it's been a remarkable run at the Panthers. Now Kikau, he wasn't one of their juniors, He was signed as a young prop from the Cowboys. Jeez, the Cowboys have let some gun young players go. It looks like they'll be okay now. They've got a new crop. But yeah, around the same time, Cowboys let go of Ponga. They let go of Brandon Smith, the hectic cheese, and Viliame Kikau, which was to the Panthers' benefit. They developed him from a prop who wasn't able to get into that first grade setup into the most devastating edgeback rower in the game, a Fiji international, and he always keeps defenders on their toes. The moment you worry too much about Jerome Luai or Brian Toto, well, they'll just send Kickout right through the line. And sometimes, if you're focusing a bit too much on Kickout, well, that's when the ball goes out to the likes of Isaac Tago and Brian Toto. So he's a great decoy runner, and just such, such a devastating runner of the ball. Viliami Kikau, emotional moment. We did see his family on the field and his brother in a wheelchair post-game. Uh, apparently he was going to be a gun player himself, but was struck down with an infection. And you saw the Panthers players in the shed after the game. All of them were embracing uh, Kikau's brother. He's clearly like very close with all of them. So an emotional way for Kickout to go out. Back-to-back premierships, though. He'll be happy about that. And Kickout stood up in this game. 113 run meters, five tackle breaks, an offload, 15 tackles, and no errors for Kickout. Then in the number 12, Liam Martin, who last season played off the bench. He's a New South Wales Blues representative. And Martin has formed an incredible partnership with Nathan Cleary, where he's just that enforcer that really makes sure that a lot of the targeting defensively of Nathan Cleary 
uh, like players running at him, trying to make him get through heaps of tackles. When you are an elite half like that, you need a back rower that you can trust and that genuinely has your back, and Liam Martin fits that bill. He was given the starting role this season after the departure of Kurt Capewell, and the Panthers did not miss a beat with Liam Martin in the back row. Liam's stats included 155 run meters as well as 45 tackles. So clearly Parramatta, they were trying to run a lot of traffic at Cleary, but Liam Martin said, nah, nah, we're not doing any of that shit in this grand final. 45 tackles, the most of any Panthers player on the field. On to the number 13 now. And look, this guy is as influential as any player in this Panthers outfit. Co-captain Isaiah Yo, New South Wales rep, and looks destined to fill that number 13 jersey for the Kangaroos come the World Cup. Now, Isaiah, a couple of seasons ago, moved into the middle of the field from an edge back row position, and he's since become the premier lock forward of the game. Yo, look, great in terms of his hit-ups, meter-making, outstanding defense, but the most, I, I would say underrated, but it is rated quite highly, so probably not the best word, uh, but Yo's ability to be that link in the middle of the field between Luai and Cleary, he's involved in so many of the attacking plays, and Isaiah Yo has helped really revolutionize that ball-playing middle forward role. Yo is a natural leader for this young side, and checking out some of his stats, Isaiah ran for 186 meters, 72 post-contact meters, two tackle breaks, an offload, and as always, Yo just so technically outstanding when it comes to his defense. 90% tackle efficiency, 36 tackles with only one miss. So an incredible game from Isaiah Yo. No errors as well. And that's what you get from Isaiah Yo every single game, whether you're playing the last place Tigers or whether you're playing in a grand final, Isaiah Yo brings it every single game. On to the players named on the bench. Number 14 actually started the game, Mitch Kenny. He started at dummy half, then moved into a middle forward role a bit later in the game. And Mitch is poised to claim the number nine jersey on a full-time basis next year. One of three names in the mix, but I think what they'll do is they'll start with Mitch Kenny and probably carry Sonny Luke on the bench. For Kenny, he missed out on last year's grand final, so it's an excellent moment for him, his first premiership ring. And checking out some of Mitch's stats, played for 33 minutes, 71 run meters, a tackle break, and 17 tackles made. On to the number 15, unwanted in the NRL before the Panthers picked him up, Scott Sorensen. What a try it was for him to really edge Panthers a bit too much in front for the Eels to come back. Sorensen spent time at the Sharks over two different stints, as well as the Raiders, but never really was a regular first grader. And it was apparent watching him play for Newtown Jets a couple of years ago in the New South Wales Cup that Sorensen was too good. He was too good to be playing reserve grade. He was above that level and he's proven it since being given 
a very important role on the interchange for Penrith. Sorensen will now be heading into the World Cup as a New Zealand Kiwis representative, and he of course scored that epic try in the first half. Some of Sorensen's stats, 30 minutes played, he scored a try, ran for 92 metres, 96% tackle efficiency for Sorensen, 28 tackles, no misses with only one ineffective tackle, and no errors. So an excellent innings from Scott Sorensen. On to the number 16, Spencer Lanier, who's among the top tier of young front rowers. And for Spencer, he's had to bide his time behind elite front rowers Moses Leota and James Fisher-Harris. And even at times, Lanier has been displaced from the squad by Matt Eisenhuth. But now he is a back-to-back premiership winner, and although he plays off the bench, Lanier still has a very important role within this side. And now Spencer enters, or when Spencer rather, enters the game, Panthers do not lose any momentum. They bring their elite front rowers off, and they just do not miss a beat when Lanier enters the mix. For this grand final, Spencer played 21 minutes, ran for 104 run meters, 53 post-contact meters, 8 tackles, no misses, and no errors for Spencer. Then, Jamin Salmon. Gee whiz, those weak gutted dog comments really stuck, didn't they? I don't think he cares cares now because he's a premiership winner. Although he did talk about maybe pressing charges, so maybe he does care. But for Jamin Salmon, the number 17, signed as an excellent versatile depth option. He's played on the bench all season as well, and Jamin covers the halves, back row, and centres. And Jamin actually had a short stint in the centres during this game when Isaac Tago went off for a HIA. Jamin is also a former Parramatta Eels player, so he got one over his former teammates, and it's being reported that Salmon is yet to re-sign with Penrith. Supposedly the Bulldogs are interested, so we'll have to wait and see. I think his stock definitely rises after claiming a Premiership win, 12 minutes played during the game for Jamin Salmon. Then in 18th man duties, he didn't get on the field, but he was a major contributor this year for the Panthers, Sean O'Sullivan, a Panthers junior who returned to the club this season after spending time at the Roosters, Broncos, and Warriors. And it was a crucial involvement this year from O'Sullivan, who filled in for Nathan Cleary and at times Jerome Luai. He kept the Panthers going during the regular season, played a handful of games, and going into 2023, O'Sullivan, he's followed his dad over to the Dolphins, and it looks set for Sean O'Sullivan to be the Dolphins' first choice half in 2023. Sean's also a New South Wales Cup Premiership winner, so he heads over to the Dolphins with plenty of confidence, and he's not the only Penrith player who signed with the Dolphins either. They've also picked up Gun Young Half and Jersey Flag field goal winner Isaiah Katoa, Dolphins have signed Robert Jennings, who was in the centres for their state championship win. And they've also signed Mason Teague, who was involved in their SG Ball title win earlier this year. So Dolphins starting to pick off from the Panthers. A few sides are. But this is just what happens 
when you're at the top of the crop. So that was the 18 players in the Panthers' grand final winning team. Now, let's get stuck into the juicy stuff. Let's get amongst the aftermath of the grand final celebrations. Let's get to the post-game celebration. Unfortunately, this has taken a lot of the attention. Excuse this chair, it's creaky as a motherfucker. I actually got a new chair, uh, just got to set it up. But anyway, I digress. Now, after the game, the Panthers and the way they carried on has unfortunately become the talking point coming out of the grand final. Now, I've asked many people that I know Hey, did any of these comments genuinely rattle you? Were you offended? Everyone I've asked said, I don't give a shit. Who who cares? Play on. But Paul Kent. Look, NRL 360, I'm not a huge fan. I did used to like it. But look, if you don't think they have agendas on that show, you are very wrong. And fuck me. Like, honestly, can you think of a 360 episode that comes to mind, where they were bringing the game up, where they were actually talking good about players, every single week, it's negativity. They never talk about the actual games. And yes, 360 is supposed to be a journalist's perspective. Rugby league from every angle. Every angle except positive, reasonable, or actually talking about the fucking grand final. We just had the biggest game of the year, and yet they are still nitpicking everything. And look, this is why I don't watch 360, because I don't need that negativity in my life. And to be honest, half the time when they're talking about, oh, this club has boardroom drama, like, I don't care. I, I couldn't give a shit about board members and things like that. So look, it's their job to be negative because it sells stories, it gets clicks, it gets ratings. But ask yourself, does anyone actually give a shit about what the Panthers are saying. Maybe Eagles fans, maybe Tigers fans, but honestly, toughen up. Most of the people who are offended are the same kind of operators who are always saying, oh, you snowflakes, oh my God, everyone's gone so soft. Those are the ones who are getting all shitty. Even Kenty multiple times has said, oh, blah, 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 woke left this. Like, it's like, okay, Kenty, like we know he's as far right leaning as possible but yeah it's the same guys who always say oh everyone's soft this day and age oh the woke left this they're the same old men yelling over the top of each other about fucking like nothing and you know what if you have a problem with what the panthers have been saying here's your solution beat them don't allow them to win the grand final they're in a position they just won and i don't understand this whole culture of Oh, they're bad winners. Does everyone have to be a graceful, classy winner? Isn't that just boring? I much prefer this. It has added so much to the game. And look, Paul Kent and his cronies, who are so offended by all of this, are the same blokes who are always saying, oh, fucking snowflakes, toughen up. So I'd I'd like to send that one back to the 360 boys, because of course they're listening. Toughen the fuck up. Who cares? Now, I'll start with some of the comments. RP Corosau uh, made a comment about the Tigers saying, like, essentially, I've just gone back to back at the Panthers, but 
I'll be doing the same next year at the Tigers. And then he laughed. Now, yeah, maybe Tigers fans are upset about this. He, the truth hurts. Basically, the truth hurts. You guys came last. You guys haven't even made finals in the last decade. So it's not like he was super out of line. I know some people thought it lacked class. The bloke's been on the piss all night. Like, they're celebrating a grand final. This dude is a professional. There's no way he's going to go to the Tigers and not give it his all. And sometimes the truth hurts. I think that's why Tigers fans are pissed off. Yeah, it's your marquee player. You don't want him saying anything negative about the club. But he's literally just speaking the truth. You can't honestly tell me that Api Kurosawa is heading into a club even close to as successful as the Panthers. So that one, I call play on. Personally, if he was signed with the Warriors, the side I support, and he came out and said that, I'd just be like, fuck, that's pretty fair. We haven't played finals in like a decade, other than one appearance, and we're a bit of a basket case of a club. That's how I would feel if it was my team. And look, if there's any team that are in basket case territory as much as the Warriors, it's the Tigers. So I call play on for that. Also, Jerome Luai, a lot of talk around him, uh, especially the daddy chat, saying that the Parramatta team call these boys daddy. Again, look, fuck, who cares? He's literally just trying to add something to the game and prolong the rivalry. The media should be lapping this up in a positive way, like, oh gee, now the rivalry is really on, like, let's look forward to when they play each other next year. But no, it's these guys can't win with class. I don't care, they won. You know, I don't care if they came out and said, the Warriors suck, they're fucking shit. I'd be like, you know what? How can I argue with that? How are Parramatta going to argue? They basically are Penrith sons after that domination in the grand final. So again, that's play on. James Fisher-Harris came out and quote-unquote incited hate chants. Yeah, wow, super offensive. Two teams hating each other, the sets of fans. That's what the media love to promote as well, the hatred between two teams. But as soon as there's even an inkling of a rivalry, they shut it down. So look, I think the daddy chat is play on as well. Like, honestly, if you're offended by that, that's soft. And I'm someone, I usually like to take the approach of hearing people out. If someone's offended, I'll listen why. Like, why are you offended? A lot of the time, it makes sense. But it's these same motherfuckers who are always saying, oh, toughen up, snowflake, the world's gone soft, who are now creating outrage about this. Tell me that is not soft. And look, personally, I love shit talk. I think it's hilarious. It's not like they came second place and they're carrying on. They won. So a simple solution. If you've got a problem with it, well, beat them. Don't give them the platform to talk shit. And if anything, they're just spurring on the rivalry between themselves and the Eels. You can't tell me there's going to be, not going to be, sorry, more viewers when they play each other next year. You can't tell me that there are going to be a hell of a lot of Parramatta fans absolutely berating these Penrith boys. And look, the rivalry, it can only be good to build rivalry in the game. What do you want them to come out and say? Oh, Parramatta was stupendous. What a great bunch of guys. Oh, they made us work for it. 
I, I'm much more a fan of talking some shit. It's not like they're not going to play each other next year. And Jerome Luai has always been like this. Even when he was coming through the grades, there was chat that before he'd even reached first grade, he was there at training, spraying James Maloney while he's putting kicks up, really getting stuck in to his own teammates. For me, it's play on. If you're offended, whatever. Like, honestly, I think it's such a known story. I feel like the only people who are really offended are offended and outraged because 360 broadcast it and they put it out there. No one was really thinking it before it was created into some outrageous moment. And look, do we need to put everything under a microscope and analyze every detail? I don't think so. Look, for Paul Kent, I do think the bad winner's comment was fair, but everything else, get over it. Like, it's very clear that there's an agenda. I mean, we all know that 360 Fox Sports run by the Rupert, Rupert Murdoch media. And look, if you don't know that there are agendas being driven, look into it. They 100% are. And Paul Kent, when he's outside of that kind of 360 scope, he's actually awesome. I love a lot of his takes when he's being reasonable, but his job on 360 is to create outrage. It's to spread negativity. They are never building up the game. Every time it's talking about negativity of this player so-and-so lacks class or this coach isn't the right coach to get them over the line. Things like that. When do they ever say anything positive? Maybe they have been because I stopped watching a long time ago. Uh, but yeah, everything I've ever seen from it, they're always trying to create stories. I remember round one a couple of years ago. Round one. It was the first 360 of the year. I was like, you know what? I'm going to tune in. It's a new year. Maybe things have changed. This was pre Braithanesta, who I do think is an awesome addition to the panel. But they came out. It's round one. The footy is about to start. I'm thinking, awesome. I can't wait to hear about the games coming up this weekend. All the great narratives. The first half an hour of the show, they were grilling Cooper Cronk because he'd done some training with the Sydney Roosters. And he'd also done some training like as a coach with the Storm. And they're like, is this a conflict of interest? And they go on about it for half an hour toward one of the most professional blokes in Cooper Cronk. Like, I can't imagine he's going from the Roosters to the Storm and he's exchanging secrets and things like that. And yeah, that was probably the last time I watched 360. Because I was like, okay, it's round one, literally first half an hour of the show. Is it a conflict of interest, Cooper Cronk? And then just grilling him. So, yeah, I just prefer... And there's plenty of other great outlets out there that actually do talk about the game. Uh, so I just try to focus on them. As far as the Jerome Luai hate, I think he's an absolute gun. I'm a huge fan. And, yeah, I just think this is a case of a sensationalizing a non-story to earn ratings and create outrage. Look... RP's comments about the Tigers made me laugh. If you don't take them too seriously, which he clearly didn't, it is a laugh. It's The Tigers, literally, it's you can't tell me they're going to be anywhere near the Premiership next year. Although they are starting to pick up some handy recruits. So look, they are on the up, but there's no recruit that is going to bring them up more quickly than RP Coruscant. 
That's what he signed on for. And yeah, I think, look, it's fair. He's coming to make a positive difference. He brings three premiership rings with him. He's no doubt going to make the Tigers better. Tigers haven't even played finals in the time it's taken Arpi to rack up three premierships. So look, it's not the best situation if you're a Tigers fan. But again, personally, if it was the Warriors in that situation, I could cop that. Like, he's not speaking anything but the truth, and it was clearly just a laugh. Now, yeah, just really soft from the media, creating outrage where there's no need. There's also been the negative perception around the Tigers through Isaiah Papali'i, and this whole saga, is he going to actually come to the club? So in that regard, I do feel sorry for the Tigers. They have a negative perception around the club, which is unfair to the fans, who are an awesome group of fans. It's unfair to the players, who are busting their ass to try and be successful. But I feel like the negative perception around the Tigers basically falls on the owners, the people running the club, because they are a basket case. They have been a basket case. They've turned over coach after coach. They've come nowhere near the finals for the last 10 years, and then they bottom out this past year and come last. Now, it's only up from there. But if the Tigers have anyone to blame for the negative perception, it's themselves. Anyway, moving on, because I think there is so much more going on in the world around us that we could be taking seriously and actually looking into as a major issue than some comments from a footy player who is partying hard and enjoying the spoils of their hard work. So many more things in this world to be fucking outraged about than some comments like that. And if you are really losing sleep, if the Panthers players are living rent-free in your head with their comments, I think you need to prioritize what you're worrying about. Because on the grand scale, their comments mean literally nothing. Even on the football scale, it is the most play-on shit. It's ridiculous that I even have to talk about it, but that's been the majority of the talk coming out of this week. Panthers are bad winners, this, that, they're arrogant. Fuck me, I would be arrogant if I won back-to-back premierships and nobody even looked close to stopping us. If you think Jerome Luai's comments and James Fisher-Harris's comments were bad, well, you, you're lucky. You're lucky that I'm not uh, ever going to win an NRL premiership because... My carry-on would be a lot more than that. So, look, I do not mind it at all. Even the comments, James Fisher-Harris, we're the greatest Penrith team of all time. Ooh, ooh, all this fucking debate again, media getting all pissed off. They are the greatest Penrith team of all time. They've gone back-to-back. Nobody has even come close to their style of skill level and execution in the last three seasons, other than the Storm in that grand final. 2020. And none of the Penrith past players are arguing with that. I saw Mark Geyer come out and he was like, I'm fine with that. Like, they are. And so, look, all this talk, oh, they're arrogant, this, that, and the other. Just let them enjoy it. They've worked hard for it. And look, trash talk adds to the overall game. It's going to mean way more when there is a team that inevitably knocks these Panthers off. And we're all going to be celebrating. Oh my god, they've finally taken down the Panthers. Only a couple of years ago, 
We loved the Panthers. They were young, they hadn't been successful. And I really think in Australia, there's this whole culture of as soon as someone's successful, you start nitpicking, oh, they're arrogant, they're this, they're that. Sometimes you gotta be a bit fucking arrogant. Sometimes you have to have a bit of an ego to be able to be successful. And if you look through this Panthers side, I think the biggest thing that has made them such a powerhouse has been the lack of ego. Yeah, maybe they might be arrogant. Yeah, maybe they might celebrate, celebrate tries. But look, I've seen firsthand with clubs who look like they're about to start a dynasty and egos get in the way. That is clearly not happening at Penrith. They are all playing for each other. And look, in the AFL going into this season, my side, the Melbourne Demons, defending premiers. We won the first 10 games and it was looking like, holy shit. We may have a powerhouse in the AFL. Then, about halfway through the season, the players are talking shit out at a dinner, get into a punch-on, let their egos get in the way, and it all unraveled from there. And that, because I support the Demons, it actually made me appreciate the Panthers more. I was like, wow, you really do have to have your egos in check to be able to make a run like they have. So look, are they arrogant? Maybe. Does it really matter in the grand scheme? Absolutely not. It adds to the game. So sit back and enjoy it. And hopefully for you, it can be your team that knocks them off. If I had to pick, I think the Cronulla Sharks are building quite nicely. And I can see them rising to that next level next year. So there are some sides that are starting to build themselves up. And inevitably, they will catch up to the Panthers. Or at least let's hope so. Because Penrith showing no signs of slowing down winning through all of the junior grades. Alright, anyway, let's get moving on from post-game celebrations because I really... It, I've heard enough. It's been covered plenty and in-depth. So now let's focus on the Parramatta Eels. And the major talk coming out of this game has the Eels' premiership window closed? Look, I don't think so. But at the same time, you cannot deny they are not going to be the same side next year. Reed Marnie is a huge loss. I know they're bringing in Josh Hodgson. But Reed Marnie still, he's younger. He's had less injury concerns. He has combinations with those teammates. And of course, Isaiah Papali'i, one of the most damaging back rowers in the comp, among the names leaving. So I do think Parramatta are much less of a chance of winning the Premiership window next year, but I don't think the Premiership window has necessarily closed. It's up to them to define that. What are their junior base like? What is the junior base like? I know the Eels finished ninth in the jersey flag, so they certainly weren't setting the world on fire. Now there may be a handful of juniors that they are keen to promote. But I am interested to see how the Eels decide to cover many of their losses. All season, the media, even the last few seasons, the media has been out for blood in terms of Brad Arthur. They said, is he the man to get them to the grand final? Well, now he's done that. And look, there's still going to be criticism because he didn't win. But I don't think you're Craig Bellamy's or Trent Robinson's would have been able to defeat the Panthers on grand final day. So look, 
I have faith in Brad Arthur. I really hope he does well. Because he is someone who, even when he's been successful, for some reason, he is always a target when it comes to, is he the right coach for Parramatta? Well, if he isn't, who is? Who is out there that they can just grab off the market? Nobody. When Brad Arthur came to the club in 2014, they were a wooden spoon side. He has got them in finals year after year, uh, except for there was a wooden spoon in the, in the middle. Uh, but he continues to get this side to finals. He has built this squad into a side that has made a grand final. And I hope for Brad Arthur's sake that the Eels have not missed their premiership window. Their halves are off contract as well. That is definitely going to be all through the papers, the futures of Dylan Brown, Mitch Moses. Now, as a Warriors fan, I hope we throw the bank at Dylan Brown. Wouldn't be the first time that we've gone after him, uh, but I really, I would love to get Dylan Brown. But for the Eels, they now turn their attention to retaining their halves. Mitch Moses, look, he may be looking for a million dollars, and I don't know if he's quite worth that. I mean, there are clubs that are going to pay it, but it will throw your salary cap out of whack. So it will be interesting. Does Mitch Moses stay at the Eels beyond next season? And same for Dylan Brown. Never a good idea to have both halves coming off contract at the same time. Now, some of the other talk around Parramatta has been that they treated grand final week like just any other week, any average week. The players drove to the game. There were no there were no special moments at all. They didn't treat it like a grand final. They treated it like any other game. Now, I don't think that was the right approach. How many grand finals have I coached? Zero. So maybe I'm not the right guy to make comment. But the grand final isn't like any game. This isn't round nine. This is the grand final. This is a chance to make history. And look, on the opposite side of that coin, you don't want to completely emotionally drain the players and bring them up and then down and then up and then down all week to the point where they're drained by game day. But, I mean, come on. It is not just another game. And I think looking back, the side, as well as Brad Arthur, if they had to make a grand final again, I certainly don't think they'll be taking that approach. Now, Parramatta as well. Supposedly, they're looking to target Liam Martin to replace um, Isaiah Papali'i, which will be interesting. I mean, it could happen. I believe Trent Barrett is Liam Martin's cousin or uncle or something like that. And of course, Trent Barrett joining the Eels coaching staff next year. So it will be interesting. There's definitely going to be a line of suitors for Liam Martin, but he has stated as well that his preference is to remain with Penrith. Now, just going to jump in to some notes I've taken about the Parramatta Eels. They made the men's and women's grand final this year. So that is something to celebrate. A grand final, albeit a loss, they don't come around very often, unless you're a bloody Panthers or Storm fan. Uh, but look, it's the longest premiership drought. They managed to get the men's team to the grand final and the NRLW team as well. They both lost, but I still think they should be extremely proud of themselves for even getting to that point. They brought excitement to their fan base all week, and that's what you want as a fan. Premierships, extremely hard to win. I feel like 
the goal should be to have good value out of your side throughout the year. Now, I can attest, as a Warriors fan, I've been given very little value. I could have gone into a fucking coma for the last 10 years. From like 2012 onwards, I would have been like, oh my god, we made the 2011 Grand Final wake up from the coma. How are the Warriors going? Oh, they made the finals once and got knocked out week one. Like, I literally could have been cryogenically frozen, and I I wouldn't have missed much. So for Eels fans, they have been excited all year. Yes, there have been inconsistencies, but your side made it to the grand final. Everyone had this week to be excited of, what if? What if we do it? And everyone was pumped up. And I think there's some real good to come from that. Now the Eels, more so than ever, there is a real hunger for them to be successful and next year, hopefully in their case, go one better. Now, in the game, there was little to no impact made by their forwards, which really made it hard for their backline to do anything. Eels trying to pull off some unconventional moves. And yes, you got to pull out something different to beat the Panthers. But yeah, they, they were just nowhere near them in the game. And that's not a huge criticism. As I said, I don't think any side would have been near them in this game, uh, but they were just outclassed simply by a better team. Will Parramatta be stronger or weaker in 2023? In my opinion, I do think they'll be weaker. I do, but hey, we'll have to wait and see. I thought Ryan Matteson was the Eels' best, and he's since picked up a suspension and decided he'd rather miss three games than pay the four grand fine. Aaron Woods came out and said basically, what a tight ass. If he did that at the Dragons, he'd be sitting in reserve grade. I'm like, okay, well, you guys have like Tyrell Sloan and Jaden Sullivan withering away in reserve grade trying to get released. So Dragons, like, who cares, to be honest. Uh, And Ryan Matteson made a comment that I found interesting of like, there's stuff going on in people's lives or whatever. So I'm like, hey, I'm not going to criticize. Maybe that $4,000... Like, he really needs it. And I know he just got a pay upgrade for re-signing with the Eels. But, like, I don't know Ryan Matteson personally. In fact, I'm pretty sure, doesn't he run a business where they, like, help disabled people? You can fact-check me on that, but I'm pretty sure he's very active with community work. So, I'm not going to criticise him. There may be a very good reason that he needs that four grand. Or, as Aaron Wood said, he's just a tight ass, but... I'm not going to judge the man without knowing the full story. And for Parramatta, they can take a lot from this. They get massive experience from being in the grand final, experiencing grand final week. For some of these young players, getting their first taste of a really high stakes game. And it's a great learning curve for the entire team. Now, the last grand final appearance for the Eels, 09. We had the Hain plane. So much hype. People were losing their minds, myself included, about the run that the Eels managed to go on. I don't know if any team can ever replicate that, given if you look at the key positions in that 09 Eels side, except for Jared Hayne, they were not a team of superstars by any stretch of the imagination. Now, Eels in 09, they lost the grand final to the Melbourne Storm, but I do remember going into 2010, There was a very real vibe around the Eels. Everyone was excited to see, well, how far can they go? Can 
they go better than last year. But they didn't. They finished 12th in 2010. And that began a real lane period for the club. We saw them rack up a couple of different wooden spoons. They had some unsuccessful signings like Chris Sandow, which was a really big deal at the time. All, all sorts of stuff happened. Jared Hayne, other than one Delhi M season and then going straight off to the NFL, he never really replicated anything close to what he was doing in 2009, which fair to say is basically impossible to replicate it. But Jared Hayne at times just wasn't producing the goods. So 09 was this real great moment for Parramatta. Everyone was getting excited. 2010, they finished 12th, and we didn't see them bounce back up until Brad Arthur arrived at the club. So now they have the very real challenge of not letting that happen again. You can't go into this next season and then dip significantly. But I tell you what is the point of difference here. In 2010, like I said, key positions, they didn't exactly have superstars. Even the whole team as a whole mostly, like they weren't setting the world on fire. Now, heading into 2023, Parramatta have a much more complete squad. They've got a great Ford pack. I mean, Sean Lane has rocketed into calculations and conversations around a Kangaroos representative jersey. You've got Regan Campbell-Gillard, Junior Paolo, of course, Ryan Matteson. So I think as well, the halves, Dylan Brown, Mitch Moses, a little bit respectfully of a step up from Daniel Mortimer and Jeff Robson. So I think they are in a much better place to not dip and come out next year and once again contend for the Premiership. But they do need to be careful They've got added motivation to go all the way, but so did the 2009 team heading into 2010. And that started a really, really rough patch for the club. So look, I have faith that the Eels can bounce back next year. They have got some big changes though. Now I'm gonna go through some of their signings and some of their losses. The major one is Reed Marnie leaving to the Bulldogs for Josh Hodgson. And look, I love Hodjo. Raiders are my second team. And there's potential if Hodjo is fit. Like, they could go to a next level with him at dummy half. So it's not all doom and gloom, but I do think Reed Marnie was a massive loss. In fact, I think he was the biggest of the lot. With Marnie going to the Bulldogs, that immediately lifts them up to a credible top eight threat. Now for the Eels, they've lost him. They replace him albeit cheaper, with Josh Hodgson. But Hodjo's had a couple of ACLs. He's a lot closer to the end of his career than the beginning. So it will be interesting. I, I think personally it's a massive loss, but maybe I'll eat my words in a year's time and we'll look back and say that it was a masterstroke signing. Another one of the biggest losses, Isaiah Papali'i. Of course, all the controversy around a potential backflip on the Tigers. And yeah, it was ridiculous. I love Isaiah as a player, and I was low-key holding out hope that he was going to backflip and come back to the Warriors. But he's confirmed he's off to the Tigers. And yeah, I do feel for the Tigers. Like, yes, I laughed with the Arpi Corusau comments. But yeah, the Isaiah Papali'i one was especially rough. When you've got a guy who has potential to be a total game-changer 
and he's n- as non-committal as Papali'i was. But for the Tigers, it's a great get. For the Eels, it is a massive loss. He's an elite back rower at New Zealand Kiwis International. And who do they really have from within to step into that role? I know they've targeted Liam Martin, but next year, who are they actually going to look to put into that back row position? They've got Ryan Matteson, but he's looked a lot better playing in the middle of the field. And they've got someone like Bryce Cartwright, who rocks or diamonds when he's on, he is on. But defensively, he does leave a lot to be desired. And this isn't the Bryce Cartwright from his Penrith Panthers days, where he was just young and absolutely killing it. He's an older senior player now. And look, it could work, but Bryce Cartwright, respectfully, is a massive downgrade from Isaiah Papali'i. Although we have seen that Brad Arthur has the ability to really develop these players into quality first graders. So I'm not writing off Bryce Cartwright, but when you look at who they have to replace Isaiah Papali'i, it definitely seems like there's going to be a downgrade kind of situation. Now, they're also losing Murata Neokore. He's coming back to my side, the Warriors. And with that, the Eels lose a lot of versatility value. He can play in the middle of the field, where he's been starting games for most of this year. Murata can also play on an edge, and he can play in the centres. He played in this year's test for New Zealand at left centre. So he's hugely versatile. He's only just now starting to grow into his peak, and the Eels are losing him. He's been a regular in their best 17 over the last few seasons, and now there's going to be a lot of spots opening up in the Eels' best 17. Another that they are losing, Oregon Kofusi. He's off to the Sharks, and I think he's going to take on a bigger role, become more of a major player, obviously stuck at the moment behind RCG and Paolo. But Kofusi's been a regular part of the front row rotation, and now, as he heads off to the Sharks, I must feel, I don't like to compare, but I really feel like the Cronulla Sharks are on a lot more of an upward trajectory than the Eels. It feels like maybe they're going to have to take a couple of steps backward to be able to make some strides forward. Now, some other players leaving, Ray Stone off to the Dolphins, David Hollis, Tom Opachik, and Hayes Perham. So quite a few losses there. And when you look from within, who maybe is up, up for the spot, fuck, I can't even speak English, up for the spot to come and grab a spot on their bench. You've got Makahesi Makatoa, who spent some time on the bench this year. Kai Rodwell, who is a very quality young player, and I believe he won their Rookie of the Year. And Ofahiki Ogden. So they have got a few options. None more so, though, than this signing. Jermaine Hopgood, signed from the Penrith Panthers, stuck behind some of the world's best players. But make no mistake about it, the Caloundra product is an absolute gun. He won Man of the Match and also Captain Penrith in their state championship win. And look, Hopgrade, no doubt in my mind, is a first grade player that is simply unlucky to be stuck behind rep players. He's an excellent signing for the Eels, and I really do expect Hopgood to become a major part of the club's plans. Brad Arthur, as I mentioned as well, he's got this knack for getting the best out of players. 
I tell you what, the Isaiah Papali'i of the Eels was certainly not the Isaiah Papali'i I was seeing at the New Zealand Warriors. And that's not a slight on Isaiah. I think that's more a slight on the Warriors. But for the Parramatta Eels, they have had countless guys come over to the club and really be able to flourish. Now, another one they've signed, Gerard Moimoyasia. He has been spending some time at the Knights. I think he's a back rower slash middle forward. And he's there as an option for depth. So a few decent gains, but some really notable losses for the Eels. And we'll have to wait and see. Is their premiership window done? I don't think it's quite done yet, but I do think they are going to face a bit of a dip, at least at the start of next year. But we'll see how that goes. Now it's time to get amongst some more chat surrounding the back-to-back premiers, the Penrith Panthers. Panthers doing what no team has ever done before them. This is why I think maybe it's not worth arguing, is this the greatest Panthers team of all time? Because they could be yet to get even better. They won in the SG Ball, they won the Under-21s competition, they won the New South Wales Cup, and then that New South Wales Cup winning side went on to beat the best side Queensland Cup had to offer, and beat them pretty easily as well. So championships all across the grades, and this is nothing new for the Panthers. A little bit further on in the podcast, I'm going to go through some of the sides of past Panthers eras that have won the under-20s and have won the New South Wales Cups, and within those sides are some, some real names. So you may not know who a lot of their jersey flag players are now, but I guarantee a couple of seasons' time, You'll know exactly who they are, so I will jump into those sides in a moment. Of course, the success in the junior grades has been a key part of this Panthers powerhouse, and they have this unbelievable team of under-21s, and then they usually pick their best young players to step up to New South Wales Cup level. We saw it with the likes of Jerome Luai, Brian Toto, Nathan Cleary, Dylan Edwards, They were all promoted from under-20s to New South Wales Cup, and all the way through, they've been learning the exact same style. The Panthers' style of play is the same through all the grades. That's why you see these young guys come in and just seamlessly transition to first grade, because they've been playing that style for a number of years. Now, the greatest accomplishment, I think, this season... The Panthers in week one of the New South Wales Cup final, let's not forget, the first week of reserve grade finals is the final round of the NRL. And if you remember the last round of the NRL this season, the Panthers rested all of their first graders, they bring their New South Wales Cup team up to first grade, and in week one of the finals, New South Wales Cup, the Panthers fielded a team of Jersey flag players, essentially, and they beat the North Sydney Bears, who feature some of the Roosters' talent, and they beat them. So they stepped up in a New South Wales Cup final and got the job done. I think that speaks to just how class this system is. And right at the top, the head honcho of the operation, head NRL coach 
Ivan Cleary. What a job he has done from being sacked to getting back to the Panthers and turning them in to what they have become. Ivan Cleary has been paramount, among many others, to the success of the Panthers, and it makes me very sad, because as I've mentioned, I'm a Warriors fan, and yeah, Cleary, he took us to a grand final, and then he left. Sad. Just makes me sad, but makes me really happy for Ivan Cleary. I was a huge fan of his when he was coaching the Warriors, and I'm stoked to see the success that he's been having. The co-captains for the side, Nathan Cleary and Isaiah Yo, they've done an incredible job as well, leading the side around. Isaiah Yo, I mean, this guy is leadership personified, not just with his words, but with his actions. Now, what I'm going to do is jump in to the uh, title-winning sides in the New South Wales Cup and also Jersey Flag. So Panthers in the New South Wales Cup Grand Final, they beat the Bulldogs 29-22, and this was their winning team list. At fullback, Isaiah Ayongi, who was young enough to be playing in their under-20 side, but he's good, this young fullback. He is very good. On the wings, Sunia Taruva, who we've seen a little bit of, and I expect to see a lot more of him going into next season. On the other wing, Christian Crichton, who actually was a first grader at the Panthers for a little while. Then he signed with the Bulldogs. Things didn't really work out at the Bulldogs. He got injured, things like that. And this season, the older brother of Stephen, Christian Crichton, returned to the Panthers, and he's been killing it at New South Wales Cup level. In the centres, Robert Jennings off to the Dolphins next year. He too was a Panthers junior with a lot of raps on him. He ended up going over to the South Sydney Rabbitohs, was an unbelievable try scorer for them, and then signed with the Tigers. Never really saw the same success, and last season he was brought back to the Panthers. In the other centre position, Jack Cole, who ended up playing 5'8 in the state championship. This kid is a gun. I believe he was on the bench in the last game of the NRL regular season. And Jack Cole, easy name to remember. Definitely remember the name. I believe we're going to see him come through. And if he doesn't make a name for himself at Penrith, I guarantee there are going to be a lot of clubs lining up for his services. In the halves, Kurt Falls and Sean O'Sullivan. Up front, Lindsay Smith, Matt Eisenhuth, and the dummy half, Sonny Luke. In the back row, Preston Rickey, who I think we're going to start to see him work his way into first grade, had a great season in New South Wales Cup, and a former warrior. Sadness intensifies. Sadness intensifies. Uh, Chris Smith in the back row. Jermaine Hopgood, captain side at lock. He's off to the Eels, as I mentioned. On the bench, John Fayumu, Eddie Blacker, who is a big unit, Played a little bit of first grade with the Dragons. I think he was involved in a swap deal with Billy Burns. But Eddie Black is a big unit. We haven't really seen him for the Panthers. But I think he's ready to take that next step in his development. Liam Henry in the 16. And in the 17, Alec Cicino. So that's their um, New South Wales Cup winning side. Now taking a look at their jersey flag under 21 side. And look, remember a few of these names, because they're definitely going to pop up on the first grade scene. At fullback, Liam Ison, who 
he was really, really good in that grand final. There was a run right at the clutch stage of the game that he made that totally swung the game in favour of Penrith. On the wings, Cody Lawson and Dayeon Amatuani. In the centres, Samuel Lane and William Fakatomafi. Uh, that was not a curse word from me, sorry if I butchered that. In the halves, Niwai Puru, who this kid is a really talented youngster. I do expect we'll see him pop up on the first grade scene, whether that's with the Panthers or with someone else. At halfback, he kicked the winning, goal, uh, winning field goal in the grand final, Isaiah Katoa, rated so highly that the Dolphins snapped him up and he is going to be right on the cusp of making his first grade debut next year. In the Fords, Maverick Gaia, famous last name. He had some epic performances in the preseason trials as well, and spent quite a bit of time at New South Wales Cup level as well. Maverick Gaia, one of the many names who is preparing himself to step up into regular first grade. In the other prop position, Brad Fernley. And in the number nine, here is a really interesting note. Riley Smith. He has been spoken about as an unbelievable talent. I think he was supposedly equally as good at cricket, and there was a bit of a tug of war for his services. But Riley Smith, dummy half for the Jersey flag winning side. And all this talk about the loss of Arpi Coruscant, is it going to be Sonny Luke that replaces him? Is it going to be Mitch Kenny? I think... I think they're playing bigger picture here, and I think Riley Smith, in a few years, I think they're developing him to be their long-term number nine. You don't let someone like Arpi Coruscant go unless you've got guys ready to replace him, and Riley Smith, if I had to pick any name in this Panthers under-21s outfit to remember, Riley Smith, remember the name, very talented young hooker, in the back row positions, Ativalu Lasati and Sunita Lotuaniu, and Hohepa Puru in the number 13. Uh, the bench, you've got Billy Scott, Eli Tua, Ashton Warwick, and John Sagaga. And in the 18, Keegan Russell-Smith, who didn't play, but he was a major part of their SG ball-winning side. So, look, they've won all across the board. A lot of these names we're going to see pop up in first grade over the next couple of years. But it's going to be hard because the first grade team are on another level right now. Pretty much all the team under 30 years of age as well. And for 24-year-old Nathan Cleary, it is just remarkable how he is now becoming one of the greats of the game. I don't like to compare. I don't like to speculate. My plan is to just sit back and appreciate this run of Cleary. But it speaks volumes of his form the conversations that he is starting to emerge in when it comes to the all-time great halfbacks. It's been something special so far, but as I said, I don't like to speculate. I'm going to take the wait-and-see approach and just enjoy his career for what it is. Another thing that really drives the Panthers has been the importance of family. We saw that after the game, how close they were and they wanted to celebrate with family. And of course, community. The Western Sydney community, and the Penrith community in particular, really spur these boys on. There's a lot of talk about how these guys are bad winners, they're arrogant, all this shit. There's never any talk about just how much these players give back to their community. It is a really important thing. It's something in the bigger picture. 
of winning a grand final that doesn't really get touched on, just how much it means and how much of a morale boost it is for the community. Western Sydney, of course, one of the fastest growing communities as well. And yeah, I, I think they are heroes, obviously, to the kids in the area. And by all reports, like these players have all the time for the local kids who want to come out and have a chat. They are rigorously involved in community work, in charity work. But sure, let's just talk about how they're arrogant and how they're bad winners. The community of Penrith, a huge reason as to why they've been able to do what they do. And it was an extra special this uh, moment this year, given that last year, the win was in Brisbane. This time, they got to have it in Sydney. They got to go back to the Panthers Leagues Club and they got to have the amazing celebration at Panthers Stadium. The Panthers, it has been something unbelievable. 67 wins in 78 games over the last few seasons. They have simply been unstoppable. All season this year, it was hard to even preview their games because they were just on another level. It's like, okay, well, what, what do I talk about here? We already know how good they are. And so all season, it was so hard to even, you know, really get a preview for their game going. Because pretty much every week, it was like, uh, well, I don't think Panthers are going to lose here. 67 wins in 78 games. The success across the board has been remarkable. And look, it's not just Ivan Cleary. Plenty of other names through the academy involved, through the boardroom, their CEO, Brian Fletcher, not Fletcher and Hindy fame. Uh, and the two assistant coaches, both leaving next year. You have Cameron Seraldo, who was highly sought after. He signed with the Bulldogs in a signing that looks set to really transform a powerhouse club that has been struggling in recent years. Seraldo has been part of the club for quite some time, came over as a player in 2012, ended up becoming a coach and really going from there. Seraldo even took over from Anthony Griffin as an interim coach a few years ago. So he's put in his yards, he's got that experience, and now he seems ready to take on the challenge that will be coaching the Bulldogs. No doubt in my mind, Seraldo is going to be equally as big a loss as the likes of Kikau and Coruscant. Then you have Andrew Webster. He too actually spent some time as an interim coach at the Tigers, spent some time as an assistant at the Warriors, and he's been at the Panthers this year, largely credited for a lot of their attack. The Warriors have signed them, him sorry, as their head coach for next year. As a Warriors fan, really stoked about that. Hopefully we don't fuck his career like we have many that have come before him. But Andrew Webster, they're losing both of their assistant coaches, and this shows you just how strong the Panthers system is. They're not just looking at the clubs to pick off the best players, but when you're successful and at the top of your game, they're looking at staff as well. Anyone who has managed to bring success to this club, well, sides like the Bulldogs, sides like the Warriors, they need those guys. I'm really happy as a Warriors fan that we've got Andrew Webster. I hope that we can see a bit of a turnaround under him. And I know that the Dogs fans are stoked that they have Cameron Seraldo. So two highly sought after assistant coaches. They get to bow out with a premiership. And it'll be interesting to see 
who Ivan Cleary and the Panthers decide to use as the assistant coaches next year. They should have some options though. Peter Wallace, a former dummy half for the Panthers, also played in the halves for the Broncos. He coached their New South Wales Cup side to the Premiership, so I expect Peter Wallace to take on a bigger role as a Panthers assistant. And look, they won the every grade, so it seems like they've got coaches who are ready to make that logical next step. Peter Wallace probably at the top of my list. things are some other points that I noted down after watching the grand final we've seen the Panthers enjoy back-to-back success and now going into 2023 it's going to be an epic season we saw the Roosters try to claim the three the three-peat and they weren't able to but the Panthers really do seem poised to really create some history and get the three-peat now they will They might. I I don't even want to say they will dip, considering they're losing some really key personnel. But the Panthers were just so far ahead of everybody this year that even if they dip a little bit, I don't know if the rest of the field are going to be able to catch up to them. Although there is one aspect that I do think made it a bit more possible for this side to go back to back. I'm not saying that they wouldn't have anyway. Uh, But part of the reason why we've seen really good clubs struggle to go back-to-back in the NRL era has been the World Club Challenge. Now, traditionally, pre-COVID, the Premiership winner in the Super League would meet with the NRL's Premiership winner almost exclusively always over in England. And that was always a big part of that trying to go back-to-back for sides because in the pre-season, you travel over to England. It's a fair, fair whack of travel. You've got to play the best side. Uh, And yeah, they usually have attributed the World Club Challenge as a reason why clubs haven't been able to back up their success from the year before. Thankfully though, word is coming out of the Panthers Club. They are very keen to do the World Club Challenge and it would be one of the best of all time given that they are facing not the back-to-back, not the three-peat, the four-time consecutive Super League champions in St. Helens. I would love to see that game. I hope they line it up in England. And it would be an epic game. I mean, what St. Helens have been able to do in the Super League has not been rivaled. And what the Panthers are beginning to do is really incredible in its own right. Now, the Panthers, they have the academy. They have the junior base. They do have some losses like Arpi Corosau, Viliame Kikau. But they've got guys ready to step up. In terms of that left row back, uh, second row position, left side fucking English going out the wazoo, uh, they've signed Luke Garner, who I think we're going to see just how good he is once he's in a proper quality system. Luke Garner and Zach Hoskins amongst the names ready to replace Vil Kikau. Then in the dummy half position, look, Api Corosau brings a set of skills that you just cannot replicate. His deception is incredible. His creativity around the ruck, it's something it takes a long time to learn and plenty of RP's skill set is just natural talent. So these three guys in the running to take the number nine, they're very different players. They're gonna offer something 
that RP Coruscant just different to RP Coruscant. Now the three names in line to replace him, you'd have to expect Mitch Kenny, the front runner. Then you've got Sonny Luke, one of the Panthers best in reserve grade all year, and really a remarkable story of perseverance. And then you've got Riley Smith, as I mentioned, Jersey flag winning dummy half. And I really do think he is one of the names that you have to keep an eye on. Now, as I said a bit earlier in the podcast, now I'm going to go through some of the former under-20s winning sides and New South Wales Cup winning sides and some of the players that played at that level. Because earlier when I mentioned the Jersey flag side, you may think, how much relevance does the under-21 side have? But going through some of the titles they won on their way up to the NRL, it's pretty impressive. Now, I'll start with 2013, the Panthers, the 2013 Holden Cup under-20 winners, Coach Garth Brennan, who we saw uh, have a failed stint at the Gold Coast Titans. Now, this 2013 Holden Cup Premiership side actually featured three Panthers that would then go on to become Parramatta Eels. Wanga Blake, Regan Campbell-Gillard, Bryce Cartwright, all involved in the 2013 Holden Cup Premiership. They had George Jennings, Isaiah Yo, Dallin Watene-Zalesniak, and James Roberts. Pretty fair under 20 side in 2013, produced the likes of Isaiah Yo, and that really was the first building block toward the powerhouse that they are today. Then the following year, Panthers captured the New South Wales Cup Premiership, Garth Brennan again the coach, and some of the players that featured in that New South Wales Cup Premiership outfit, you had Wanga Blake, Wes Naguama, Eto Nabuli, Tom Eisenhuth, who is a second rower at the Melbourne Storm now, actually played on the wing for that game. Leilani Latu, Kevin Kingston, Regan Campbell-Gillard, and Isaiah Yo. So they won the under-20s. The following year, they brought some of those guys like Isaiah Yo and Campbell-Gillard up to the next level, and they captured the premiership there in 2014. Then, 2015, the side win another under-20s Holden Cup Premiership. In the grand final, they beat a Manly Seagulls side that featured the likes of Tom Trebojevic and Nico Hines. They also had Jesse Ramian, uh, Knight, Luke Knight. I think, I forgot his name, bloody hell. It's not Luke Knight, is it? It's Liam Knight, <laughs> bloody hell. Uh, and Luke Garner. So it was a pretty formidable Seagulls side that they went up against, and they didn't even have Nathan Cleary, who missed the game as he was representing the Australian schoolboys. So in 2013, they win the Holden Cup. 2014, they win the New South Wales Cup. 2015, they win the under-20s again. And Cameron Seraldo was the coach of this Holden Cup premiership. Some of the notable players, they had Brent Naden, who actually played at fullback and was the co-captain. Robert Jennings. Dylan Edwards, who actually featured on the wing. That was the season I mentioned earlier where he was filling in all over the place. They had Tyrone May, Jerome Luai, Sonny Luke, who was a co-captain, Moses Leota, James Fisher-Harris, and Corey Haruera-Naira. So once again, these are all recognizable names. And the Panthers bring them through the grades. They weren't done yet there either. In 2017, the Panthers' New South Wales Cup side got the job done. 
and they also went on to become the state champions. The 2017 New South Wales Cup side was coached by Garth Brennan, and they featured the likes of Mike Acevo. Yes, that's right, Mike Acevo, the Panther. This is where he really got people's attention and was eventually signed by the Eels. Uh, the Premiership New South Wales Cup side also included Jed Cartwright, Christian Crichton, Jerome Luai, Moses Leota, Mitch Rain, Viliami Kikau, Tom Eisenhuth, Corey Waddell, and Jack Hetherington. So when I read those team lists out a bit earlier of the New South Wales Cup side and the Jersey Flag side, it may not have seemed super relevant, but when you actually go back and look at some of their lower grade sides that have won in recent years, there are a ton of stars within those lineups. Now, let's get back to the current day. And Panthers, it is no secret they are stacked, an amazing roster, so much so that they really supply the depth to the league. There's still a massive issue around player development at other clubs, whereas the Panthers are just churning out first grader after first grader to the point where they don't even have spots for all these talented guys. They continue to provide depth to the league, and in my opinion, sides, and I'm sure they are, need to be taking notes from the Panthers and really going in on player development. One side that I believe has done that are the Cronulla Sharks. That's why I do expect them to go to the next level next year. Now, going back to Panthers and their post-grand final antics, a lot of the trash talk, that is only going to fuel their rivals across the league. And going into next year, more so than ever, the Panthers are going to have a massive target on their back with sides like the Storm, the Roosters, the Rabbitohs, the Sharks, the Cowboys, maybe even the Tigers featuring Arpi Corusau and Isaiah Papali'i, and potentially the Bulldogs with Reed Marnie and Viliami Kikau. There are going to be a lot of sides lining up to back-to-back premiers and hoping to knock them off. Are the Warriors going to do it? My side? Uh, probably not. Uh, but there, there are a lot of sides that I believe can really go to that next level next year. Now, another note for the Panthers, heavy involvement going into this World Cup with the Samoan side. So I'm really interested to see how they go. If the Panthers' success can carry over to international level, well then Samoa are going to be a force. They've essentially got the Panthers' backline. They've got Taylor May. Charlie Staines didn't even make the Samoan squad. They've got Isaac Targo, Brian Toto, Stephen Crichton, Jerome Luai. I believe Spencer Lanier is a part of the squad as well. So watch for Samoa to be a real force at the upcoming World Cup. With that being said, we're pretty much done here. Just before the two-hour mark, I knew this was going to be a long one. So now I'm going to just wrap up with some quick final thoughts. Starting with the Panthers opening as favourites for next season. I mean, after the grand final, Joel Kane, Sportsbet, they were straight on. I was like, fucking hell, you did not waste any time. They've already got the odds up for next season. I'm like, hold on, I literally haven't even finished this season. I'm trying to just stop for a second. Uh, but yeah, Panthers, the betting market's already up. They are the favourites to go the three-peat next year. So a lot of exciting narratives heading into next season. And plenty of the chat is going to be surrounding this Panthers outfit. And I'm excited 
to see which sides can contend and really get themselves in the mix to try and spoil the party. That's it though. Thank you so much for listening. It's been a fantastic season. I'm excited to return next year with a more polished product, better content than ever. I've thoroughly enjoyed covering the NRL this year, but this was only my first season doing so. So I've learned a lot of lessons. I'm going to have a much better idea of how I want to approach it next year. And the Rugby League podcasts are not done just yet. Do not forget, we've also got the Not Just a Sports Report Performance Highlights of the Year podcast. We've got postseason reviews of every single club. And of course, the World Cup Rap podcast. I will be covering the World Cup. Excited to sink my teeth into that. But the job for the NRL 2022 season is done. Congratulations to the Penrith Panthers. And thanks for listening. Not just today, but if you've been listening throughout the season, your support is much appreciated and I'm excited to launch into future podcasts. Again, thank you for listening. And the best way to support us is to chuck us a follow on Instagram if you enjoyed the podcast, at Not Just a Sports Report. We haven't just got podcasts coming out, a lot of content working on for the Instagram as well. So give us a follow if that tickles your fancy. But other than that, that is a wrap. Season 2022 in the books. Panthers, back-to-back premierships, claims that they are Parramatta's daddy. Interesting, interesting narratives heading into next year. Thanks for listening. And remember, most importantly, fucking take care of yourselves. Come on. Thank <laughs> you.